welcome once again to Cinemaholics, where we talk about the biggest and the best films coming to theaters and streaming online. From the San Francisco Bay Area, I am John Agroni, film editor for theyoungfolks.com, and I'm also a film critic. I write for sites like Awards Watch and The Spool. From Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, he is a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend. He's the co-creator of Cinemaholics. You know him, you love him, you know to love him. It's Will Ashton. Hey there. You can find more episodes of our show, including our full archive, on cinemaholics.com. We also have written reviews and other bonus content there. We have a merch page. It's it's a whole fun thing, and you can go check it out. We want you to email us, though. We want to hear from you. See how you're doing. Check in. You know, if you haven't if you haven't emailed us in a while, I just want to make sure you're all right. Cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. As usual, links to all this stuff is in the show notes. Our Patreon, if you want to support us on a monthly basis, if you want to, you know... Go to our, I already said, but our merch page. If you want to do that, all that stuff's in the show notes. Check it out. It's a fun time. Well, the more you mention the merch page, the more people know that we have merch. Yeah. Hey, there's no, not not enough press yeah. is uh, not a problem. But yeah, Will, so we're only talking about one movie this week. What's going on? Yeah, I guess that's kind of my fault. I've only had the chance to see one film this weekend, and that was Dear Evan Hansen, the universal musical based on the Tony winning Broadway hit of the same name with uh I guess one movie was enough. It was so good. You were like, well, I don't need to see anything else. Uh yeah, unfortunately it's not the case. Um funny enough what? because um well what's it? I, I guess we're gonna find out more in the review. Sure. Well I was just gonna say the main reason I couldn't see more is because um I'm back to work. I'm uh uh out at the theater uh and we were playing this film for the uh the the grand reopening which was very exciting um and the, and it was packed you had, there was there were crowds you your job you had your job full of it this weekend no wonder you didn't have time well i will say i was very busy but um yeah. we, we played it and i had the chance to sneak in and see a showing of it so that's how i'm able to talk about it on this here episode yeah i'm curious you know because pittsburgh's pretty nice to the director right because the director is perks of being a wallflower fave yeah my is that uh, the, that's the case yeah spotsky uh yeah, the my director for Perks Being Wildflower, my big uh yeah, he directed you. Film. He had the privilege mm-hmm. of telling you what to do and yeah. where to go and who to be. Told me down walk down this hallway and to uh stand in the spot <laughs> for this cafeteria scene and all that. That's right. That's right. I feel like, you know, I'm sure the listeners haven't listened to every single episode of the show yet. But I hope many have already heard the story of the Lashins involvement in Perks of Being a Wallflower. Well, it'll never get old. I always love it. I mean, it's good to mention only in the sense that I don't know if there is some like slight or small bias that I have uh, worked very indirectly with the filmmaker yeah, before. Um, probably, but embrace it. You know, own it. I mean, I had it's no no creative involvement with the film. I I was there on set, and I I was a part. And of the you film. did write the script, sure, and you are a producer. <laughs> yeah, um, I wrote the book. Uh, no, I I had no creative involvement with the film. Whether you love it or hate it, I had uh, no involvement with that. I just am in a couple scenes as a background artist, as they say, back when I was uh, fresh mm-hmm. out of high school. And it's hard to believe that was 10 years ago. Well, I, I love the movie Will Ashton. And when I found out you were involved in it, I loved it a little less. But at the same time, I'm just kidding. That's, <laughs> That's okay. Fair. No, no, no. I loved it even more. That's what the listeners expected sure. to hear, right? And it's true. And it's true. So we're, yeah, we're talking about Dear Evan Hansen in this show, but we have some off topics to get to because I saw a couple of things. I'm going to talk about them. I'm going to let, if there were other movies you wanted to hear about this weekend, there's at least one that I'm going to talk about in off topics that I actually really highly recommend. But first in off topics, well, Ashton, you have something to plug for the listeners. 
Oh yeah, you bet. Um, so I haven't had a chance to promote the last couple episodes of Any Ogre to Its Ogre, our sister podcast, the one I do with Matt Serfini and Chris Sheridan. You're trying to keep it underground, you know, you don't want too many people listening, it seems. Sure. Uh, so I don't think I actually talked about our August episode, which was our big switcheroo, which we did with uh, friends of the podcast, Charlie Ridgely and Corey Woodruff of Generation VHS. They took over our show. I think we did show. talk about it. Did we? I think I talked about how it threw me off and ruined my whole well, we week talked about because it. I was so confused. I mean, we talked about it privately. I don't know if you actually talked about it on the air. Um, uh, yeah, I have to double check. Okay. Maybe. I don't know. I don't remember. But uh, if I didn't I'm talk still recovering it, from that, by sure. the way. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a fun little thing. They talked about the master disguise and we went on their podcast and we talked about kangaroo Jack, which is a film that we name drop a lot throughout this season. So it was fun to actually revisit the film or at least it was fun to talk about it. Uh, the film itself has, uh, as you can imagine, not aged terribly well. And, uh, we have a lot to say about it. So, uh, yeah, check out that episode and check out the one that Corey and Charlie did for our show. And then also in September, we had our big conspiracy theory episode where we had a surprise caller who goes by the name of Dale Johnson come on and uh, tell us a bunch of wild conspiracies about the film that we watched, which is, of course, The Master of Disguise. So I think they're both very fun episodes. And uh, I guess all three of them, yeah, because I was also a big fan of uh, what we did on Generation VHS. So I would hope you check out all three of those episodes. There's so much content. I mean, there's so much to enjoy and appreciate. So, you know, listeners, don't listen, don't keep listening. Just turn us turn us off right now. Go straight to that. But yeah, if you're still here for some reason, I guess I'll talk about real quick a couple stuff I saw. I'm going to talk about two movies and a TV show. We're going to end on a high note, right? We're going to start with a really good movie. Then we're going to go into a movie that I don't recommend. And then we'll finish with something I recommend more than anything else I've seen lately. First is... I am your man, or I'm your man, actually, it's called. So this movie, we kind of briefly talked about it last week. And I think, Will, you were the one who mentioned, I was like, oh, did that play a tiff? And I wasn't sure. I wanted to say yes, but I didn't want to, you know, be incorrect and all that stuff. But yeah, so I'm your man premiered a tiff. And this is a Danish film. It's a Danish film that stars the one and only Dan Stevens. Dan Stevens, who we love, right? We love Dan Stevens. We support him. We we follow him around, right? Uh, I don't know about that, but I think he's a very fine actor. I've enjoyed his work of late. Yeah, I was trying um, to. I was trying to trap you. Sure, obviously. But yeah, I think the last thing I saw him in was a uh, Eurovision, the Fire Saga. Yeah, I think that's the last thing I saw him in as well. Which uh, fantastic comedy. Yeah, not a film I'm particularly fond of, but I thought he was very good in that uh, mm-hmm. scene stealing supporting role. Oh, and he was also in the Rental. I don't know if that came out before or after, but I remember. I remember him uh, in the Rental. I think it kind was kind of a different. A little bit different movie for him. Yeah, I think a little bit after, but around the same time. Sure. Yeah, both 2020 movies. I haven't seen anything else he's done since, but wow, yeah, Dan Stevens, love him. He's going to be in Eternals, I think, and I don't know what part he plays. Is he? I haven't seen the trailer. Yeah, yeah, he plays he plays a character in Eternals. I don't think it's a huge role, but hmm. I'm not. I, again, I'm not sure. But all that to say, love Dan Stevens. Yeah, I don't think I've seen him in the trailer, but I mean, maybe I missed it. Maybe. I, well, maybe he's on the trailer. Maybe maybe I just spoiled everybody on that. But I remember reading it in the trades. But uh, yeah, Maria Schrader directed this new movie, I'm Your Man. And I think she's best known for Love Life. Uh, so not Love Life, the Anna Kendrick show on HBO Max. Don't worry. <laughs> Calm down. But no, this is Love Life, the movie that came out, I think it was like 2007. So it's been a 
it's been a good minute since that film. Uh, it's based on a novel and everything. She was also behind this really popular miniseries that came out on Netflix. I forget if it was 2019 or 2020, but it's called Unorthodox, which I never got into Unorthodox, but I remember a lot of people liked that show. I, I remember a lot of people oh, were like, yeah. hey, have you checked out Unorthodox? You'll never believe it, but it's Unorthodox. I mean, that wasn't, uh, I, I haven't seen it, but I remember that was like a big surprise upset, the Emmys, because it was up against like a bunch yeah. of like shows that were really well known and acclaimed and that like snuck the wind and uh, that uh, put it on my radar, but I never got a chance to watch it, but I heard it was very good. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard awesome things. Yeah. She's, I think she's like a showrunner on that if I'm not mistaken and obviously directed some of it, uh, I believe is also the case it won an Emmy and yeah, all that said, this is her, her big movie follow-up to that project. Okay. And I really, really dug I'm your man. I don't think it'll be in my top 10 of the year, but if there was like a a list of movies that I just, uh, if I, if I had a list of like my favorite movies of the year that just kind of like hit me at the right moment, movies that really made me think this is one of those movies. I feel like I'm your man is going to kind of like grow in my estimation over time. So this movie is kind of like a sci-fi romance. It's like a sci-fi dramedy actually like romantic dramedy it's very funny the premise like i don't want to give away all of it because i watched it super fresh you know i didn't know anything about it and there's something that real really fun that happens in the opening scene but you know it, again it's like the very opening scene but i'm gonna go ahead and blab about like what the basic hook of the movie is and basically it's like the near future i mentioned this is a danish film it takes place i think in like copenhagen if i'm not mistaken and we follow this young woman. She is a scientist. Like she does things with, I think, like hieroglyphics and languages and everything like that. And she participates in this trial. It's a three week trial to spend time with basically an android, a robot that looks exactly like a human, kind of like a replicant. But like if a, an android had like all of the, like, knowledge and like all of the internet at its disposal so it's like super hyper intelligent it's physically just like able to do things it kind of it's probably like that uh, black mirror episode almost with what's his name um donald gleason uh, i don't know if you ever watched that black mirror with him and uh hilly atwell but it's, it's very similar to that and the whole premise is that she has to spend three weeks with him. And is she going to fall in love? She doesn't want to because he's a robot and she's human. How could it ever work? That probably sounds pretty trite, doesn't it? Maybe. I've actually, to answer your question, never seen any of Black Mirror. Okay. I wasn't sure if you had seen some of them. Nope. I didn't think you'd seen all of them. I thought you had seen maybe some. Didn't you see Bandersnatch? I have seen zero Black Mirror episodes. Who did I talk about Bandersnatch with? I remember watching uh, that talking about it with a buddy. Julia Tady, I believe, was on that episode and you talked about it with sense. her. Or Ebley Kubinkamp, or yeah, good, good memory. Wow, um, I think you're right. But anyway, so yeah, uh, I, I should say I've only seen like a couple of Black Mirror things, and this is one of the very few. So there you go. But I think what I really like about this, like I said, it sounds kind of trite. It sounds kind of like, all right, I know where this is going, but I really dug this because it is a very like very well written version of a story that you might find somewhat predictable. And I will say it goes in directions I actually wasn't expecting. I mean, the whole setup is that, you know, is it ethical for people to have partners that are like programmed to love them? And this, this woman is very much against that. She's like, well, why, you know, like human beings and all their conventions and all their flaws, like that is, that's the point. That's how we get to a place where society can thrive. And yeah, it's a really fun thought experiment. It's also just 
really darkly funny. And yeah, this this movie was a breath of fresh air. It's a really tight runtime. It's only, you know, like about it's less than two hours, like 105 minutes. And it's it's just so beautifully done and very well crafted. I mean, it's not flashy or anything. The sci-fi stuff isn't in your face. They do a lot of practical stuff here that works really well. There are maybe a few scenes here there. Like what prevents this from being one of my faves of the year is that it's it's a little hapdash and some of the technical stuff. I mean, there's a little bit of wonky CGI here and there that kind of takes you out of the movie. So kind of go in with managed expectations. But yeah, if, if you're looking for just a really brainy, but also warm kind of sci-fi movie with a fun premise, fun thought of experiment, this is one of those movies where you can watch with some friends and have a really good conversation right after. It's really entertaining. It's an easy watch. It's breezy. It's not the most thought-provoking film, but it's provoking enough that I think you get something out of it. So yeah, I just think it's a really well-rounded kind of movie for what it is. It, it's not too pretentious. It's, I don't know. There was nothing about this movie that like felt a little bit like, oh, we got to be subversive for the sake of it. it. It actually felt creative in a lot of good ways. It almost reminded me a little bit of like, in the way it kind of blends so many genres, a little bit of like Parasite in a small way. You know how that movie is just able to be just so satisfying in so many different levels without really going full tilt on any weird genre stuff that would feel kind of unearned or anything. So yeah, not to compare with Parasite, it's not like as good of a movie as that one, but yeah, I think it's a, it's a gem. I'll, I'll say that. Yeah. I mean, the thing I was most curious about, uh, you might have mentioned this already and I missed it, but uh, isn't Sandra Heller in this film? Yeah. I forgot to mention Sandra Hel- uh, Huller. Huller. Huller? Yeah, uh, gee, main sure. character. Okay. Um, or no, sorry, not the main character. She's the, um, Marin Eggert is the main character. Sandra Hewler is kind of like this, like, how do you describe her? She like works for the company that manages the, the robots. The, um, like the boss, the main engineer, or like, like the, um. No, she's like an employee. Okay. You know, she's kind of like, she's a handler. She's handling things. She's like the liaison, you mm. know, like she's the Julie. If we have Avatar The Last Airbender fans in here. Yeah. I didn't know if this was going to be like a more lighthearted um, ex machina kind of thing. And she was like the like Oscar Isaac kind of character. But <laughs> No, no, no. Uh, if anything, uh, I don't know. I, I think people will probably recognize her from like Tony Erdman, right? Yes. That's which I love. Thing. I love Tony Erdman a lot, right. which is why I was excited to see that she was in a new movie. I think she's been in other things yeah. as well. Just a lot of stuff that flew under the radar. Right. Yeah. This is probably a bigger higher profile thing because i didn't see proxima i remember she was in that but mm-hmm. other than that i don't remember anything else yeah um but yeah i'm sure she's been in other just things i haven't heard of but sure. yeah that said uh the main character here i should i should give her due attention is marin eggert and whew, you will fall in love with this character so well written so surprising so well suited for this role she's an unpredictable character she really straddles the line between unlikable and heartfelt like she's the audience surrogate but at the same time a lot of people will watch this and be like i wouldn't do what she's doing right now but as the movie progresses and it evolves her character you understand and empathize with her so much uh, kind of in the same way the android is so yeah yeah good movie just really good movie all around i really recommend it so that's i'm your man right on the other movie i saw this week you heard about the starling will but you chose you didn't have time for it and you know i don't blame you right we won a lot of promise for this netflix movie Hmm? sure i mean it premiered at toronto but yeah I mean, to be fair, I, I did. I think I reached out to you, or maybe I didn't actually reach out to you. I was going to ask you if there's anything else uh, I should watch today, but then I realized you I, brought it up. Uh, I was I wasn't sure if that meant I had to watch the start. Was it called the Starling or Sterling? The Starling, Starling. which I kind of just watched on a whim yesterday. I had sure. a little bit of time, and I was like, all right, well, this is the other movie that came out this week. Why not? Yeah, I mean, I it wasn't one I was avoiding. I remember it was supposed to get, I think, a theatrical release at one point, and then it got 
bought out by Netflix. And I didn't really hear much about it until it was coming out. And it got kind of a muted response. And I was like, oh, I don't know. Maybe that's just Netflix, you know, burying another film again, as they usually do. Um, but as the reviews started to trickle out, I heard it was not only pretty bad, but almost disastrously bad. Uh, and I was kind of curious, but it sounded that's like... hyperbole. Hyperbole. Okay. It's not disastrously bad. Sure. Well, I, mean, I figured I had seen one movie this week that was kind of notoriously uh, misguided. I, I didn't know if I needed to see two. So I opted uh, not to see this film. It, it, look, you're not missing much, right? This is a weak film, right? It's the kind of movie that I think a lot of people will watch and not even realize that yeah, there are things about it that are a bit yikes. But yeah, it's it's just, I think the issue is that it was kind of like elevated to sort of the TIFF profiles. You have no choice then to compare it to a lot of much better films. So the movie I was thinking about a lot during this, you know, early on, was like, all right, well, I, we know the star is Melissa, Mac Melissa McCarthy. She shows yeah. up very early on. Reuniting Chris with... O'Dowd. Um, Chris O'Dowd. Yeah. Well, weren't they both um, in... Um, Bridesmaids. Yeah, but also weren't they in St. Vincent, which the director of this also made? Director of this made St. Vincent, all, which I actually have never seen St. Vincent. It's um, all right. That came out. It's nice. Um, he also directed Hidden Figures. That was obviously... Mm -hmm. Hidden Figures was the big one. Yeah. Right? Really put him on the map back in, what was it, like 2016? But yeah, I mean, that, yeah, that was like an Oscar contender. I don't remember if St. Vincent got any awards attention, but I guess if you look at the cast of the Starling, you'd be like, oh my gosh, like this movie's going to, this movie's going to break big. People yeah. are going to lose their minds over this movie. We've got Melissa McCarthy, right? Yeah. Can you ever forgive me? Is the movie that I was like, oh yeah. Uh, yeah. I was like, oh yeah, she could still make movies that if you put like a festival release behind it and you have somebody who knows what they're doing as a director. You're, you're good. Like Melissa McCarthy can deliver the goods. Yes. You have Chris O'Dowd. He's obviously an indie, an indie darling. Sure. Um, also has mainstream appeal. Can't do uh, an American accent to save his life, but he. And, and that's fine. They don't sure. let him. They're just like, just do the yeah. other accent. You don't need to. You're not fooling anybody anyway. Yeah. And I looked I it up. It. Um, yeah. Chris O'Dowd was in St. Vincent's while I was correct. Okay. Yes. Fact checked. Okay. And then, hey, look, we also have Timothy Oliphant. What? David Diggs? Laura Harrier from Spider-Man Homecoming. I mean, Kevin Klein, also known in the industry as Kevin D. Klein. You know why he's called Kevin Decline? Because he declines all the roles. He won't show up in a movie. I don't think I've seen yep. him in a movie since Dean. Was that like four years ago? Oh, man. I forgot about Dean. Yeah, that was, <laughs> that was a, a big showcase for him. Yeah, that was a, a prominent role for him and not so prominent film. Right. And hey, look, he has a really prominent supporting turn in this. I'd say the main he's one of the actual main characters and where the Starling kind of, you know, first of all, the Starling, is, this should have been at Sundance. This is not a TIFF movie. This is Sundance all the way through. This is like a 2008 kind of like Sundance offbeat comedy drama, like a dramedy. It, it does not like this is not TIFF. <laughs> like, I was very surprised that it actually did get the TIFF treatment. And it's, of course, streaming right now on Netflix. So you can watch it right now, too. But it's just one of those like big ensemble things where like it's a big it's a recognizable cast for the sake of it. Timothy Oliphant has three lines. Maybe David Diggs has like two. Like we're really not looking at a cast that makes the most of its cast. And that's that's I think that's a big shame. I mean, I, I kind of was a little annoyed at how this movie kind of like squanders its cast. Like you got some big names in here. I'd say that Kevin Klein, Melissa McCarthy and Chris O'Dowd, they're, they're the three heavies in this, right? They're the ones with the most lines with the most drama and everything. 
but this movie is like a parody of itself. I mean, I'm sure some people will watch it. And, and the setup is that Melissa McCarthy and Chris O'Dad are a married couple. They just went through a terrible tragedy where their daughter, who's a baby, has passed away. Chris O'Dad is in a mental institution trying to recover because he's just not able to deal with it. Uh, and Melissa McCarthy is trying to support him. They're still married, but their marriage is a big question mark at the moment. And she's trying to survive, you know, just day to day life. And it's a great setup. And, you know, obviously, as I mentioned, good cast. Kevin Klein plays a veterinarian who used to be a therapist, and he strikes up a, a friendship with Melissa McCarthy's character. And, you know, as you can imagine, the plot kind of goes from there of how they sort of are able to have their friendship turns into therapy or whatever. And though, yeah, it's, it's the basis for a pretty moving drama. It tries to be a comedy, though, at so many turns and fails. The, it, it puts jokes into these, like, serious moments. Wow, it's wow, already wow. become... It's become infamous for inserting a Borat joke in the middle of a melodramatic, serious monologue for seemingly no reason. I mean, it has this thread where like, you know, they do set up that McCarthy and Chris O'Dowd's character, they kind of, they they use jokes and humor to sort of diffuse situations, but it feels like one of those things the director included because he knows he's dealing with people who are funny. Mm. He's like, well, we can't have a Melissa McCarthy movie unless she's making jokes at least once per scene. And it's, it doesn't fit. Uh, it's it really doesn't fit. Um, this was written by Matt Harris, and I, I feel like it has its heart in the right place for the most part. I think some of its psychobabble is really bad. Mm. Like I think some of the messaging in this movie is really bad. They try to liken recovering from depression and things like that. And I, I don't know some of the advice in this movie I thought was very misguided. I, I really I can see why critics are thrashing it because mm. it just. Again, it, it feels dated and old fashioned. It's it's kind of relying on some of these like idioms and wisdom from the past that are really out of touch. This idea that like, okay, real therapy doesn't work, but you know, just real talk. That's what's gonna get you through it. You know what I mean? And it's that kind of thing where like, well, come on, it's 2021. I think we sort of moved past that sort of like we're ashamed of the fact that therapy is a thing and you know it's something that people don't want to do so we're going to pretend that it it doesn't work so that people will get something some kind of help from somewhere i don't know it run me the wrong way but some nice things about this movie will ashton and i hate to say it, i mean it looks gorgeous i mean i don't know if it was i think it was shot on film and so it oh really one of the first scenes it's just like this really nice grainy aesthetic where you know, Melissa McCarthy's in a, in a, she works at a supermarket. Timothy Oliphant is her boss. I mean, sure, it doesn't make sense. He's too gorgeous to like be believable as like the middle manager of a grocery store in like middle America, but I don't care. It's, it's Timothy Oliphant. I'll, I'll watch him in anything. But yeah, they're, they're in this like sort of grainy environment. You're like, man, is this, is this going to be like a high level sort of like independent film that's going to just have some really sharp dialogue? And then you quickly understand that, no, it's not. But at the same time, it's it's pretty easy to sort of just like let this one pass. I mean, it's, it's not a, it's not an egregiously bad movie. I, I think some people are probably being a little overly harsh because of the acclaim around it, I guess. But yeah, no, not not a good movie, but it's it's not a disaster. It's just kind of it's another really mediocre Netflix movie. What are you going to do? Yeah, um, I looked it up. Yeah, it was shot on 35 millimeter, so you were correct. Um, and I also found out that apparently this was a script going back to 2005. It was on the blacklist that year. Uh, people, oh, you don't what know, a that's surprise. Yeah, hmm. that's um, like an industry list of like popular unproduced screenplays for a given year. Uh, at one point, I guess uh, it was going to be a starring project for Keanu Reeves and Isla Fisher. Uh, this was like 2017 when I, a director named Dome Karokoski, I think, 
uh, was going to do it, who was the guy that did that token movie, the J.R.O. Token biopic where they couldn't mention uh, Lord of the Rings. So they just have like characters doing LARPing for like random interludes. Uh, I never saw it, but I heard it was kind of weird. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. Maybe this was uh, never meant to be, but it also kind of sounds like the type of film based on the way you're describing it and the mouse stars are in it for short bursts. Maybe it's just one of those scripts that's just so dense and like so filled with characters and conflict that if you try to manage it down to like an hour and a half film it just it gets too much and there's too much to do or say or whatever but it sounds like it was maybe even doomed from the start based on the way you're describing the writing basically yeah but they just still put it out anyway and they tried they tried they tried to make it a thing and uh, yeah it just doesn't quite work i want to finish though and i'm going a little long here this is gonna be super fast sex education I've talked about this show. It just, I've talked about the show so much on Cinemaholics. It just hit its third season. And I know, I know, we're talking about a show at the moment and it's, it's Cinemaholics. You can't watch sex education in the cinema unless, Will Ashton, you know something. Is your theater playing this? I don't think so. Nope. It should. Um, I love sex education. It is one of my favorite shows playing right now. Um, one of my all time favorite shows at this point. It just finished its third season on Netflix. It is a British show. If you haven't heard about me talk about it before, it's a teen comedy drama, nothing but dramedies this this episode, but it's, it's one of those British shows that is so, so smart and so creative and just so well written to what people are actually going through, specifically teenagers in today's environment. It's a very offbeat show. It's hard to wrap your head around the show in the first season but as the seasons have gone on it's evolved it's gotten better and better i mean it is just so funny so well done asa butterfield gillian anderson emma mackey the the cast is amazing it's one of those shows where even the villains are unbelievably well done memorable characters that you can't like they're characters you hate in one season that become main characters in another season it's that kind of thing where this show just thinks of everything it has a killer soundtrack such good storylines i don't want to go into detail because i'm i'm assuming a lot of people listening have never even seen the first season but i'm just going to shortly declare here third season for it's cements for me this is the best teen show I have ever watched. I've seen a lot of teen shows. I've gone through the ringer. I'd say prior to this, one of the all-time best teen shows by my estimation was Freaks and Geeks. I've seen plenty that came out in yesteryear, you know, and there's plenty of teen shows that like I consider guilty pleasures. I've, I've loved things like Dawson's Creek and I'm sure some people will say, yeah, well, you know, I, I still really love this teen show from the seventies or something like that. Look, from what I've seen and what I've enjoyed throughout my life, and I love me some teen shows. I love I love teen shows as time capsules, you know, that kind of just remind you this is what this generation was going through. Sex education, I think, is the defining one for Gen Z. I think so I think that's the case in it in a huge, profound way. I feel bad for millennials. I guess ours was like what pretty little liars. That's a shame. But regardless, I mean, we we get we get to still enjoy sex education as millennials because yeah it harkens back to just a different uh, a current era and it's just a different way that society is changing and change is scary well ashton i mean sometimes i look at what the teens are doing on tiktok i get scared i'm like things are changing so much and you know like people have such different approaches and views of the world than ever before and i love shows like this because it humanizes it. It brings it It brings it to everybody's level. You can watch this and be a little bit like, man, this is not what I went through in high school at all. But 
It's kind of cool. I kind of love it. There's this specific flavor the show goes for where, you know, it's not super modern in terms of the kinds of cars people drive. Like there's not a lot of cell phones in this. I mean, there's some, but like, it's not all about social media. There isn't just like endless social media storylines and, and things that are very easily dated. The show has a very timeless appeal. It kind of exists in a world where like, yeah, it's the present, but at the same time, it's sort of existing. Like what if we had smartphones in the nineties? That's kind of what it does. And it, I don't know. It's just, it's so cool about that because when you watch it, you don't think about the time period. You don't think about, and I think that it works to the story's benefit because these like issues that people are dealing with identification and, you know, things like LGBT issues and all that stuff. It really like brings like a timelessness to it. It doesn't make it feel like, Oh, this is only applicable to teens right now. There's like lines of dialogue in the third season that get to the heart of that. of like, you know, Hey, like teenagers have always been dealing with this stuff. You know, there's a character here played by Jemima Kirk. She's kind of like the villain of the season. And she's just sort of, she's sort of like ranting against Gen Z sort of by proxy and one of the characters is like, what you don't get is that like your generation went through this too. We're just like courageous enough to meet it head on. Right. And I love it. I, I just really love the, the backbone of this show. So I can't recommend it enough. Will Ashen has already promised that he's going to watch all three seasons. Will you said it's by the end of the week? True. I don't know when I'll get around to this. If I ever <laughs> Someday, get around to it, but um, I'm glad you get so much out of it. I, I think it's a great, it's a generational touchstone. I think everybody should check it out, especially people our age, because you know, I don't think it's necessarily something that's going to make you understand Gen Z, how, you know, it's a show, right? Mm. But I think it's a great entryway, you know, an entry point into that world and, and into understanding what people are going through right now and how it's similar to what you were and I are, you know, went through when we were teens and all that stuff. So great show. Uh, what little problems it has and flaws it has. Yeah, it has a few. Who cares? I don't want to even talk about it. Why bother? Uh, it's a show. Of course it has problems and flaws. Like it's not going to be perfect. Who, that's not what I want. I don't want perfection. I want it. I want the sloppiness. Bring it. That's Sex Education Season 3. It's on Netflix. Highly recommend. Hey, uh, real quick. Did you, when you were at Sundance, did you see El Plantilla? I did not. What is that? That was one of the films that they showed. Uh, that was like one of the last films I saw, but I guess it came out this weekend. I don't know if you wanted me to discuss that at all. Since Can I you say the name of it again? Uh, it's um, Spanish. I might be mispronouncing it, but El Plantilla. Yeah, I don't think I've heard of this. We talked about it a little bit when um, when I saw it. Here, I'll, I'll write it out for you to make sure that I'm pronouncing it correctly. I'm sure I'm not. Uh, but You're writing it out? Yeah, like in the in the chat. Oh, El Planeta. Yes. I thought you were saying Plantilla. I, I think I was. I was mis- The planet. I was, yeah. Yeah. I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah. It was on like the TIFF, like thumbnail screen sure. stuff. Yeah, I've, I've heard of this movie. So you, you saw it when? This is at Sundance. This is like one of the last films I saw at Sundance. Oh, okay. Yeah, this was the um, directorial debut for uh, Amala Ullman, I believe. I, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing your Amalia name. Amalia Ullman, yeah. Yeah, um... It was like I think she was like an Instagram star that kind of like found some fame, and this is her like yeah. writing, directing, starring uh, feature debut. Yeah, she's around. Mm-hmm. She's around my age. She's uh, from Argentina. I yes, say. yes, that's correct. Uh, yeah, but this is like a little movie she made with her mother. Um, it's a uh, kind of like slice of life, low stakes, uh, black and white character dramedy that she did. Uh, it's like only like 80 something minutes. And it was, uh, it was real charming. Uh, I thought it was a sweet little movie. Um, I'm very curious to see what the audience response is. Uh, 
assuming many people check it out. I know there are some folks that saw it at the festival that like really fell for it. I wish I had that uh, level of enthusiasm for it because it's the type of film that I really like. That's one that's like personal, but also just kind of uh, willing to just live in its own weird, uh, specific little world where characters just kind of talk about real things, but they're not really like, you know, heavy burdens put upon them or anything like that. They're just characters living their lives in a fairly casual uh, and sweet natured way. And uh, yeah, it's a sweet little movie. I, I, I don't have too much more to say other than that, but since it came out, um, I just wanted to say that I saw that. I found it to be an amusing little delight, and I'm curious to see if Alma makes more movies uh, in this vein, but I guess we'll have to wait to see. Nice. So, yeah. All right. A little extra I, I didn't even know that it was out. Yeah, I just found that out when I was looking up um, something else. So yeah, I saw that, and I figured since I've seen it, I can talk about it real briefly and have something to say. Very, very cool. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. I, it's been kind of on my radar. I haven't made like any sort of like, oh, I should watch this, but eh, I'm starting to feel like maybe I should have. Dang it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it seems like one you would really, really like, I think. Like, I think you'd like it more than me. And not to say I disliked it at all, obviously, but I think it's like one that's really up your alley. Yeah. Especially because I really love Argentinian cinema and I'm, I'm always down to uh, check, out, check another one out, especially one that has such an artistic pedigree behind it from what I've kind of like just seen and sort of from the periphery. So very, very stoked. I'll make sure that I make a point of it to get to that one by year's end. All right. Well, we, we talked about the best. Let's talk about the rest. Let's talk about a movie. It's a big movie of the week, although I don't think it's making as big of a splash as Universal was probably hoping for. Let's talk about Dear Evan Hansen. Dear Evan Hansen, today is going to be an amazing day, and here's why. Have you been doing those letters to yourself with Dr. Sherman? I've been trying to. Have you ever felt like nobody was there? Um, no one signed your cast. Now we can both pretend we have friends. I'm sorry about my brother. Have you ever felt forgotten in the middle of nowhere? I wish everything was different. Wish I was part of something. Wish that anything I said mattered. Have you ever felt like you could disappear? Dear Evan Hansen. Yeah, yeah, that's mine. I'll, I'll, I'll just take it. Wait, I really, I need that back. You could fall and no one would hear. Connor took a letter from me and it was an assignment from my therapist. Ew. Even when the dark comes crashing through. Connor's mother and stepfather are here to see you. When you need a friend to carry you. Connor wanted you to have this. And when you're broken on the ground. Dear Evan Hansen, he wrote it to you. His last words. Connor took his own life. He won. I'm sorry Connor didn't write this. No, 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 please. It's this. You will be found. We didn't think Connor had any friends. All right, Dear Evan Hansen, it's a coming-of-age coming musical teen drama, and it is based on the stage musical that came out in 2016. It was made by the same person who did the screenplay. Stephen Levinson wrote it, also did this, the screenplay of this movie. The, the songs and the lyrics are by Benj Pasek and Justin Paul. This movie, this adaptation, is directed by Stephen Spotsky, which we, we already mentioned him, of course, early on in the intro of this show. Director of Perks of Being a Wallflower, personal movie, one that you, I think you were saying earlier, you have you had creative involvement in? I had no creative involvement, uh, just oh. to be clear, but I was uh, very, very low on the totem pole. I was a... Um, Background artist. 
sandwich artist as well. Sure. I did not make any sandwiches on set, but <laughs> it was a very intimate set. Like I, from what I can, I've had very, very limited experiences on movie or show sets. But from what I can tell, um, this one was like way more intimate than your average set. Like I got to meet some of the stars. I was like, even though I just showed up to be extra, like I was kind of more like in the thick of it with like the filmmakers and main people than your usual set. So it was a very cool experience. And it showed me that, um, how do you pronounce his last name? Uh, I forgot to check that beforehand. Is it? um, The director? Yes. Steven Shabatsky? Shabatsky. Okay. It just showed me he had like he's a very passionate, warm, earnest guy, and I think he really cares about like when he commits to something. I think he really cares a lot, and I think he puts his whole heart into his products. I think that was also true of Wonder, his follow-up film to Perks Me Wallflower, and I think that's also true to this film. But I think that uh, in some unfortunate ways, that's to the movie's detriment. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, I mean, before we were talking about Dear Evan Hansen, I was talking about sex education, which is, for me, the best teen show ever made. And it's just so striking to have watched Dear Evan Hansen, a nearly two and a half hour movie. In two and a half hours, it has all of this time to tell a story about the teens, right? it is long. It is very long. And it's so like in my review, I did a review of this movie for the young folks. And I said, this movie should have been made in 2012, not 2021. They got the, they got the dates wrong. They looked at the dates and they're uh, like, oh yeah, we're going to make this in 2021. And no, no, no. Flip the one and two. I think it was actually for cinemaholics.com that you wrote through. That's what I said. Oh, I, th- I thought you said the young folks. I think you did said I? the young folks, but I could be wrong. Maybe I, I missed. I, I did it for cinemaholics. There you go. Yeah, Katie Stolzel did it for theyoungfolks.com. And she actually was kind of similar to me on this movie. Uh, But yeah, we'll get into that. But yeah, no, I I just think this movie, I was like, this feels so old. Like, I know everybody's making the jokes. They're like, okay, so this stars Ben Platt. Ben Platt, who we've seen in shows like The Politician. We've seen him in movies too and everything. He's been around. He's been doing stuff. He's been making things. He was in the stage musical. He was like the the lead when this opened on Broadway, right? And I, you know, we saw him in Pitch Perfect too. Um, I like this guy. I I think he's so good. He makes something terrible like The Politician on Netflix watchable because he has a really great voice. I think he has a really good presence and I think he sells dialogue pretty well. I, I didn't see Ricky in The Flash. I know he was in that too though. So that said, I'm watching this movie Dear Evan Hansen and I'm like, Ben, you're better than this. Don't be a has-been. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. You don't think he's better than this? I'm not you saying think he's, he's not, right where he belongs. Well, it's not that. I just think he is not without blame. Like I think so. I mean, I I find it weird calling this like a Stephen Chomkowski movie because I see it more as a Mark Platt production because Mark Platt is uh, Ben Platt's father. I don't really know about like what happened behind the scenes, but I have to assume because this is such a big. Tony Award winning musical with his son involved. I'm, I'm assuming he also produced the musical because he was like a big uh, Broadway producer for Wicked as well. And he's been trying to get the Wicked movie off the ground for however many years. Um, I just feel like he saw this as a way to kind of his son won the Tony. He won a Golden Globe. He won an Emmy for something else. He was like, OK, if you nail this, we got an Oscar winner and you are an EGOT. And it just felt like him and Ben Platt have a very cynical look at what this movie should be. And I feel like their involvement uh, was probably crucial to the success of the original show and was also probably the biggest uh, deterrent for what made this movie not very good. I think that's a really, hey, look, I think that's a very defensible take. I wouldn't be surprised if you were right. I want to clear up. I don't think Mark Platt was a producer of 
the, the musical. I know he was a producer of Wicked. I'm pretty sure about that, but I don't think he produced that. I know that, okay, here, here's some other films he, he produced. Trial Chicago 7, most recent, right? Yes. Bridge of Spies, yeah. Killer Picture. Love he did Bridge uh, of Spies. La La Land. La La Land. Yeah, I was going to say. I was saving that one for last because sure. it's the musical, right? Yeah, and that has um, the songwriters as mm-hmm. well, I think. Where, I think, uh, yeah. yeah, you can understand the cinema. Hey, look, you can understand his buy-in to make it, trying to make this movie a big Oscar push. Right. Because I mean, all three of those movies, I think were nominated for best picture. Right. Um, Bridge of Spies, particularly, I, I know yes. Mark Rylance won the award. Mm-hmm. La La Land almost won best picture infamously. It won Chicago for seven. It was there. Yeah. It won it for like up. two minutes <laughs> or yeah, whatever. Yeah. yeah. It had its time. So you see dear Evan Hansen and you're like, okay, well he's going for it again. Right. And, I think he's also producer of a little movie that will, I think you like more than any other, right? Is that true? Aladdin. Oh, did he do the new Aladdin? Executive producer. Oh yeah. man, that movie almost put me asleep. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's he's producer. I, I think he also produced Corella, which I think um, your favorite movie of twenty twenty one. No, but <laughs> I was gonna save my Corella comment for towards the end of the uh, review. All right. I, I'll actually be totally honest. I, it is kind of weird how most of the movies he's produced are not good. Because I was looking into this earlier. He produced mm-hmm. like Mary Poppins Returns, which I don't think is a bad movie, but definitely yeah, not as good as Yeah, you're a big fan of that one, right? Yeah, you like I, that I liked one it in spite of itself. Sure. Uh, that's one of the better ones, though. I mean, he did Girl on the Train, Hotel Artemis, mm-hmm. Billy Lynn's mm-hmm. ha- Long Halftime Walk. Yeah. Uh, Hotel After. One of the worst movies of the year so far, Thunder Force. Bet you forgot oh, he did one. that one too. He did well, yeah. producer. He's the producer in The Little Mermaid, which is a couple years from now, and yeah. a movie coming out next year called Legally Blonde Three, which I think that'll probably be the next Best Picture winner. Yeah, wasn't his? Uh, wasn't one of his like first big producing credits on the first Legally Blonde? Yeah, the both of them. Yes. Uh, he produced Legally Blonde and Legally Blonde Two, Red, White, and Blonde. Mm. So there you go. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know what? There is another movie he did that I really liked. Uh, a couple of them. Uh, so the other two movies, the three movies that he are really good. Drive, Love Drive. Great oh, the film. the Ryan Gosling Drive. The Ryan yeah, Gosling Drive. He also good. produced Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Sure. One of my favorite films of the last decade. Yeah, started and that then, first that last decade strong. Drive yeah, and uh, yeah. Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. He did Wanted. He did All Rachel right. Getting Married. He, he has some good Ooh. stuff, but most of his good stuff's like the first decade, you know? Yeah. Like Legally Blonde and all those. Sure. I think this well, last decade has been way more hit or miss. I don't know. Rachel Getting Married might be the best one of the ones you listed there, but. I'd say La La Land is probably for me. La La Land or Drive. But I, I hey, I hear you. Rachel Getting Married. Great, fi- yeah. great, yeah, great picture. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, we're not here to talk about Mark Platt. <laughs> It's kind of funny. We've never talked about Mark Platt much on the show. But anyway, this movie stars Ben Platt, as we mentioned, Caitlin Dever, Amanda Lestenberg, uh, Colton Ryan, Danny Pino, Amy Adams, Julianne Moore. It's got it's got a high pedigree. They clearly were like, this can be two and a half hours. You know why? It's a big awards contender. People will sit through yeah. it. Yeah, it's the type of movie you like on paper. It makes sense why Universal saw this. And it's like, oh, like they're rubbing their hands. Like we got one for the ages. We got. Ben Platt returning to his Tony winning role. We got Steven Chomsky or however you pronounce his last name. You know, he made, you know, like a very uh, well-liked movie about similar topics yep. 10 years prior with Perks being Wildflower. It's very easy to see why they went to him to do this. You know, he got the scr- songwriters from um, La La Land, like we mentioned. 
Uh, and I think The Greatest Showman, I think they also did that as well. And it's just like, okay, yeah. Yep. Bang, bang, bang. If this is a hit, like, and, and you know, that's not even counting like Amy Adams, Julianne Moore, uh, Amanda Steinberg, Caitlin Dever, like, you know, a very credible cast of uh, very talented people. If this was a slam dunk, it was like, yeah, that would be a very easy Oscar contender. But, you know, some things that work on paper do not work on the screen. It makes so much. Yeah, it, it's just like you said, it's like the Avengers of Oscar awards ingredients. You know, it's like, well, hey, what, what's like a big thing? Everybody really lo- they love musicals, right? I mean, musicals are tried and true. OK, we got that. We have Oscar Beatty subject matter. Uh, this movie is very much about mental health. It's about suicide. The whole plot of this movie is that Evan Hansen is a depressed teenager who during therapy writes you know, letters to himself. He says, dear Evan Hansen. And he writes a letter one day about how he's kind of hinting at that. He wishes he could just disappear. He's, he's having dark suicidal thoughts. His letter to himself gets snatched away by uh, a, an out, a similarly outcasted teen with a lot of anxiety named Connor. Uh, This is the character played by Colton Ryan Mm -hmm. and he takes the the note and we never find out the details of it, but he ends up committing suicide. It's very early in the film and everyone thinks because he had the note on him that he wrote that letter for Evan Hansen and they believe Evan is this guy's friend. And this movie kind of has like, it, it really wants you to believe Evan has no friends in a way that I found very, like I struggle with this. I go back and forth. Did they go, did they try too much? Like he has zero friends. Like his own mom doesn't want to hang out with him. And I was like, well, well his mom worked. I don't think she chooses to not hang out with him. I don't know. Well, there were, there were times in the movie where I was like, I think she just, I think she took an extra shift when she didn't need to. I mean, yeah. I, I know the movie's, the movie's trying to present it in a way of like, it's because, you know, she's a struggling single mom. And so she's doing what she can to like take care of the house. And, yeah. You know, so I'm being a little bit facetious. But also, it comes off that way. Um, it's worth mentioning. He has an arm cast and Connor was the only one to write um his name on his cast right. which also leads in the parents view some credence to him having uh formed a, f- a fond friendship with uh what's his name connor yeah but th- see this is the thing about this movie nobody would sign his cast nobody he has like one kind of friend who's just like a family friend played by um nick dodani yes and I'm just like, why are you so mean to like, Evan just seems kind of like whatever. Like, I, I don't know. He doesn't seem very cool or anything, but like people are just like go out of their way to just be mean to him. Like, uh, I don't get it. Well, this is high school, man. Like I, I didn't, I didn't uh, have of all the things I found far fetched or unbelievable. I did not have any issue believing that no one <laughs> yeah, wanted sure. to spend time with Evan Hansen because Evan Hansen as played by Ben Platt in this movie is like unsettlingly unhinged in every <laughs> single shot. Like he has like well, these you nervous mean unhinged tics. in appearance. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I this is a classic example of like how one thing from one medium cannot work another. In that, like, I I feel like from a creative standpoint, everyone just went. To, ben Platt adored on Broadway for how many years he played this role. Like he won a Tony. He's great. We'll just put cameras on him and it will work wonders like the magic will come alive. And not only is the age thing distracting, but like it just seems like his performance wasn't intuitively um, changed for this new medium. And we have a performance that's meant to be for a wide audience on a stage where he's like, you know, playing to the crowds, like, you know, playing to 
the, the aisles. And we have instead this presentation from Stephen Chomsky where it's, everything is very intimate, a lot of like close-ups and medium shots where I think the approach is very interesting for a musical where it's like it's not a lot of like big breakout musical numbers. There are a few, but for the most part, it's very character focused and intimate. But because the performance from Ben Platt is going so broad and so big, it counteracts it and makes him look like this weirdo this like creep who's like on the nerves of like gonna like erupt at any minute like it looks like he's just gonna like blow up at any given writing supports it the writing supports it because he is psycho he's a sociopath yes like a sociopath who insists that oh i don't want to do this monstrous thing then he does it seemingly unquestioningly you know like they put in little bits of dialogue of like oh i don't want this to happen it proceeds to be a monster for 20 minutes straight yeah and it's one of those things where it's like i don't think the story is completely the fault because you can have a complex nuanced story like this and have it work case in point 2009's sure. world's greatest dad which has a very similar premise and it's very good because the movie acknowledges through robin williams performance that he is this complicated figure who has you know you know, he, he's a guy who like what he's doing isn't right. And the movie doesn't yeah, yeah. make any bones about him doing a bad thing. But we can kind of see through his perspective why he goes through with these steps and like what, what he's feeling in that moment and the kind of complicated feelings he feels where he's being validated. But at the same time, he's going through this great tragedy and he's doing under false pretenses on this stuff. And it's like a very interesting film and a very funny and darkly amusing film. But uh, at the same time, like it, it's a similar premise, that I think, works because Bobcat Goldwaith knew what film he was making. He tuned it to the right dot. And this movie is going in the opposite direction. It's very, very sincere, very um, uh, modeling in its approach. But at the same time, there is this kind of cynical edge, like I was saying before, from the Platts, I feel, where they're trying to go with this story about, you know, mental health issues in a way that feels, you know, kind of cheap and cynical. And so it has this kind of weird, bizarro feel to it throughout the whole thing. Movies are made for this. You're so right. Because how many movies have we seen where characters, when you really break it down, are monsters. If this thing didn't happen with a lot of other movies we otherwise like, Crack.com wouldn't exist. What would their videos be about, right? Yeah, I mean, it's like any 80s movie, like how many articles are there online? Like, uh, actually, The Breakfast Club is problematic yeah. or whatever. It's, yeah, sure. Sure. Right. Yeah, because that's the thing. It's like, you just have to break it down. It's like, oh, I never saw it from that perspective. But this movie... The perspective is so stilted. It, it's so it's like turned on its head. So all you can think about is what you're not supposed to think about. It, it's almost like it's inviting audiences to be behind the curtain for once. So none of the movie magic there is there to sort of fool you into being like, wait a minute. I mean, because that's that's the whole thing with this movie is like Evan chooses to manipulate and lie to this grieving family whose son has just committed suicide to lie that he was best friends with their son and then offer meaningless, hollow lies of sympathy to try to make them feel better only because it makes him feel good. And it's like, you can't, you can't get around that. And a lot of bones are being made, of course, by the fact that yes, he he does look too old for the part. And it's weird because the man's 28, right? Ben Platt. Uh, is he? Yeah. I think he just turned 28. He's 28, 27. I think when he filmed the film. So either way, you know, I think that we've seen, we've seen old people, older people, like people around his age, which I shouldn't say older. I mean, I'm I'm older than him. Yes. But two things on that. First of all, the politician got away with it. The politician, I think he's like 25, 26. Sure. Barely notice it. It's fine because they, they just found a way. Like, you, you buy it. There's some actors like Jessica Barden. She still is playing high school. She's I think she's around his age. I think she's 30. Uh, yeah, I think she's around your age, but a lot of the roles yeah. we've seen her in, she was like, because yeah, like Ben Platt is about my age. He's a little bit younger than me. 
And right. I, I find, as we mentioned with several uh, Jessica Barton films, like I was just like, I cannot imagine being an actor and playing a high school again. But oftentimes Jessica Barton is able to sell it primarily, I think, because she looks younger, but also just like she, I think, is able to give performances that feel more natural and more ingrained to yeah. those characters. And this performance is so theatrical, so overdone from not only a uh, performance standpoint, but from like a makeup and lighting and all this perspective that like they it's clear that they're so self-conscious about it that they overdid it to the point where he just looks like a very like he doesn't look like a normal person. He just looks like like uh, like a federal agent, like a 21 Jump Street thing where he's like (laughs) posing as a high schooler. I'll admit, though, like it's not something about the movie that bothered me all the way through. It's something that I was just like, yeah, they didn't do a good job at this. I think that they were they tried to make him look too much like an outcast because like Ben Platt is not a I don't think Ben Platt is a bad looking man. And I think they try to make him look more unseemly, I guess, like the, the afro hair and just his hunch and all this stuff to try to make him look younger. I think it has the opposite effect. It makes him look older than he actually is in real life. Like, I genuinely yes. believe that. And you know what? It, it didn't kill them. That's not what killed the movie for me, because I was just like, well, fine. You know, I can still appreciate this movie regardless of this, because I guess that's the point. He's supposed right. to sort of be a pariah. Fine. OK. Give me the movie. Let's let's see what else we get. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing that I like about the movie. It's probably what me is probably what keeps me from hating this movie. I mean, I hate things about this movie. I absolutely hate many things about this movie, in fact. But there are some things about it that I do like. I think that it is a good idea. I mean, look at the, the Broadway play is evidence of that, of the writing of, you know, the, at least the general concept could be done in a way that works if they made several notable tweaks to how things turn out. But I think that just the general idea of like an awkward teenager singing his troubles and the fact that the music is actually really good, I think, yeah, that stuff works for me. Like I'm watching this movie and I like the music. I I think that there is something to like a, a teenager who can't really articulate what he's feeling, kind of expressing it through song. That stuff actually works the way that it's intended to because I think it's straight out of the play and it I think Ben Platt sings really well and you know, whenever the characters are kind of having those moments, it's a little bit easier to kind of get into the film's vibe. But then it's all the other stuff. It, it's how the movie completely disregards Connor. And I think who I think is a very important character who gets horribly mistreated. And I think it's a symptom of how dated the play is at this point, too. I think the play was very dated for 2016, a few years dated. And so that's even more agitated by the fact that it's so many years after the musical came out. And then I think that if you're going to make this movie, I think you really have to just really rewrite it. I think that Steven Levinson was the wrong person to do the screenplay. I think that they should have had him maybe do a first draft and bring somebody else to freshen up this material and iron out. There's a lot of the messed up stuff that happens in this because it's, it's bleak. It's oppressive. Like by the time that this movie ends, I feel like, what's the point of that? Like, why did I just have to go through that? Like, I wrote this in my review. I was just like, am I just supposed to feel misery? Like, what kind of movie sets out to just make you feel bad? And that's what this movie ultimately does. And it tries to dress it up with empowerment and and all this stuff. It tries to make the Amanda Lestenberg character more likable, I believe, than she is in the Broadway play. But none of it goes anywhere. And I, I just think that, yeah, the end result is like all of these characters go through something horrible. And I don't think any of them come out the other side better. So it's just like, that's not what movies are for, especially like if you're going to do a movie about these really dark subject matters, I think, you know, you owe it to sort of 
inject something in here that's hopeful because this is really serious stuff. And yeah, I just think this movie is very irresponsible in that way. Yeah, I mean, to kind of go off a few of your points, I think the approach of the film was right, but the execution was wrong. Like I think, like I said before, I like the idea of doing a very intimate, grounded musical where it's very character focused. It's just, it's having characters in very raw, tender ways, expressing their inner emotions, talking about things that burden them in a mental health sort of way, especially relating to depression and anxiety. I think that's a very intriguing concept for a musical. And I think there are a few scenes in this where it gets interesting in that respective. But as you're mentioning, I think they need to make a few crucial changes from stage to screen that they don't do. The few changes they do make, I think, are ultimately more detrimental than not. For instance, Amandala, um, what's your last name again? Uh, Amandala um, from uh, The Hate You Stenberg. Give. Stenberg, yes. Amandala Stenberg, yeah. Amandala Stenberg. They, they give her, I think, one new musical number, the, the swing set musical number, where we were kind of supposed and to... And I liked it, but it doesn't work. <laughs> I think it was one of the better songs in the movie i i'm gonna push yeah. against you as far as i don't think the music in this is that good i think it's decently well performed like i think ben platt's a good singer and all that but i think all every musical number sounds more or less the same and it gives a movie That's a sort of monotonous true, yeah. view feel to it but i think it's all this it's all the same but i think it's all like kind of catchy like i don't know I, none yeah. of the music i was just like oh music again if anything i invited it because it was better than the dialogue it might be a curve thing you know i can only really hum like the one like you'll be found song like i can't really remember the beats and the music for any of the other songs that well and i've been having to listen to it throughout this whole weekend because it's at the theater and i still can't really remember <laughs> yeah, like it's the not lyrics that and music yeah but um it's not amazing or anything right. like that so yeah um but with mando steinberg's character they i think they try to from what i can tell like her character is a lot more um self-centered i guess in the show or because she decisions she makes in the second half of the movie without getting the spoilers are more for her own personal interests. And they, I think they try with the song to kind of justify as far as like, oh, she's also dealing with her own mental health issues. But I think because the movie is so fairly blasé about the struggles of mental health issues, it seems to almost backfire as far as like being like, oh, like these people are like, they're unstable because like they have like these issues or because they're on medication or all these different things. And I feel like that's a really, really bad, harmful message to give for a musical like this. Yeah. that's trying to be open hearted about these difficulties and show the complexity of people with that, especially high schoolers that deal with mental health issues. And I think that's where I'm, I'm my most antagonistic about the film. Cause I feel like that's a incredibly detrimental message to give. And I think that's where the movie fumbles the most outside of just the age thing and the, the, the poor execution of the story and all that. I think that's where the movie is really genuinely potentially harmful. And I find that's where I, I, I think I'm ultimately more negative than not on the film. Yeah. And I, I don't blame you at all. I think, Man, the better version of this movie, in my opinion, is really centering Caitlin Dever's character as the main character. I think that there is something really prescient and relatable about being in this situation and being surrounded by people who pretend like they knew the person, right? Like that is, that's the hook. Yeah, the hook of this movie agree. is sort of, you know, cause like, mm -hmm. I think, I don't know about you, but like, I've been in that situation where people sort of like exaggerate and embellish how much they knew somebody who just recently passed away yeah. and how for the person who was close to them, how, how much that hurts to sort of just see this like rewriting of history, especially when it relates to like the reasons, like what led Connor to doing what he did. It's pretty complicated. 
And, you know, the movie doesn't have easy answers on, was it because people treated him badly? Was it because, you know, was it a mix of things? Like he was the antagonistic toward others? Was it mental health? Like, what was it that was ailing Connor? This movie's not interested in any of that. And it's more interested in what's going to happen with Evan. And I think for us, it's like, who cares about Evan? Like the dude's lying out of his teeth. He's just trying to feel like you know, some, he's trying to feel like some sort of like closeness with, he's trying to like date, you know, Connor's sister, who's this character. And I, it just, it doesn't work. Like it's just so messed up and so monstrous. And I think that the movie's heart has a much, there's a better way in here with her and maybe the Amanda Lestenberg character who we Mm -hmm. see some of that, right? We see that she deals with a lot of these mental health issues as well. And she's trying to sort of like make all this hay about Connor who she didn't know. And I think like a story with those characters would have made way more sense, but we can't have that. We have to have a straight adaptation. Evan Hansen has to be like the person and Mm -hmm. yeah, it just doesn't work. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really think about it, but if if we did have it from her perspective and say we we saw like this, this loner girl who has a brother who's complicated, has his own share of mental health issues. We find out he has committed suicide. She's dealing with the struggle. She finds out there's another kid from her class that can relate to this. They form a relationship. Midway through the film, we find out, shockingly, he lied about the whole thing. He's actually wasn't really close. There was right. just some complicated issue. And we had to de- we followed their fallout from that. That would be, I think, more interesting than what we got here. However, that's obviously not the film we got. So, oh, well. But I do agree with you that uh, Caitlin... Never. I think of all the performances here is probably my favorite. I did also enjoy Mandela Steinberg. I thought she did a good job in spite of the material. And I also thought the, um, Same. Yeah. the I don't know the actor's name, but the father of Connor. I Danny thought, Pino. Yeah, I don't think he doesn't get a lot to do in this. I think he gets more in the show from what I've heard. He's, he's kind of underwritten in the movie, but I thought he was better than the material more often than not. Um, the performance I found. I say so. He should, he should do more movies. I mean, he's been in like a lot of TV stuff, okay. like Sons of Anarchy. So, oh, okay. yeah. Heck yeah, let's get him in more uh, sure. films. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I'm not as uh, familiar with him outside of this film. I mean, I might have seen him in other things and didn't realize it, but um, the performance I was surprised that didn't really work for me, and I feel bad because she's on a bit of a losing streak right now, is Amy Adams, who I, yeah. I, I thought she would bring a lot of nuance and complexity because this is the type of role she usually excels at, but I thought her performance was unfortunately fairly one-note and uh, lacking in many different respects. Very one note. Yeah, it's the same thing over and over again with her character. There's no nuance. There's no depth. There's no scene where you're just like, you know, like basic writing 101 is when you have a character and you introduce this character to the audience and the circumstances, they make you think this character is one thing. And if you know what you're doing in, in a screenplay or a novel or anything, the best way to get the audience to really care for this character and to like sync up with them is to do something unexpected with the character. Instead of her reacting one way, she reacts some way that you totally don't expect, but that feels tied to what she's actually gone through because then it's a two thing. You feel for her emotionally and you learn more about the character. That never happens with Amy Adams' character. I think it's all the writing. She's written to just be a grieving mother. Grieving mother, grieving mother. This scene, she's the grieving mother. This scene, she's the grieving mother. This scene, she's the grieving mother with an extra line of dialogue. And it's just repetitive and safe, right? And that's where it just doesn't work. She did make a pie, so we can't forget that. Oh, oops, I forgot about that, yeah. (laughs) Yes, you made it. That was unexpected. A pie that was, what was it, the... Gluten free or whatever. That was like the whole thing, her character. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, yeah, they impugn her quite a bit in this movie. They're pretty harsh on her for all of her, like, you know, th- there's also like some class warfare stuff they try to throw in here. Whatever. None of that stuff 
belonged. It, yeah. it was it all just totally rang untrue to me. It's like they're trying to bring it up like Evan Hansen and his mom are working class heroes. Their house looks nice too. They look like they're just like upper middle class ish. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I don't know. There was never any attention paid to like, okay, show us their struggle. Show us that like, yeah, there prove to me that like Julianne Moore's character needs to take these extra shifts because otherwise she cooks them like a full breakfast in like her introductory scene and like mm-hmm. They live pretty comfortably. So like if you want to sell that whole thing of like, no, they're struggling and it's hard and like he can't afford really nice clothes. Like, I don't yeah. know. They just don't try to do any of that stuff. Also, like their house is like very neat and clean and organized as yeah. well and all that stuff. For two and, people. Yeah. Two people. A and- house for two people. Yeah. That's like pretty well done. Well kept. Uh, yeah. There's, I don't know. It just is weird. Yeah. I just, I mean, that's why I find kind of frustrating about the film is that like, Steven Chomsky, at least from his first film, and I think in some respect his second film, like he's pretty good about making like characters who, I mean, not are super realistic as far as like the execution. It's very, it's sentimental in its approach. It's obviously very nostalgic, Perks being a wildflower, but I think he's very good about making even like some starry performance feel fairly lived in and have some some personal resonance in a way that, that feels emotionally uh, yeah. yearning or has like some emotional honesty to it that that really uh strikes home for a lot of people and i think that's one of the key reasons why perks being wallflower became something of a like cult classic or whatever you want to call it you feel like you're in their lives like i feel like i'm in emma watson's character's life yeah and when all the things happen with her character even though you're rooting for something to happen and it doesn't happen you love these characters anyway like Mm -hmm. there's something there is like a little bit of a spark to that and i think it comes from how personal that film was to him and i think yeah when he's directing somebody else's screenplay i think that he's i I do think he's trying but yeah it's just I, i think a lot of this movie is too glossy it's too overdone and i mean this movie had a 28 million dollar budget this movie should have had half that as a budget considering like what it is there's no huge dance numbers there's no like like there's like what three or four main locations on set like yeah. I, don't, I don't understand what they spent their money on on besides i guess the the actors themselves but probably. you know yeah probably that, that is the um case. yeah i mean i know this movie was filmed during covid and i know that that was part of the reason for some of the um intimacy of the film like what they couldn't do as much with actors i guess they they did as much they could like with single shots and all that from what i've read yeah yeah um they were filming this uh yeah if i recall they filmed this like last august yeah so like yeah height of the pandemic right um but yeah i mean i think one thing i have against film is that like not only do the songs have a kind of samey feel to it but i feel like the songs don't fully gel with the the plot like it feels like it's a drama and then it just inexplicably characters will start singing and it's like now it's a musical number now it's a drama again and it didn't feel at least to me like it flew flowed together in a way that really made either the drama or the musical elements uh complement or parallel one another okay. and i feel like that I'd was say, okay i'd say it works half the time half uh, the time they do it half the time it doesn't yeah i mean maybe i just i just felt like for the most part it's kind of like that tree scene where like Evan Hansen is scream shouting singing to a tree and it's just bizarre and weird <laughs> and he's like yeah, looks yeah. like he's gonna like uh, explode as I've mentioned before and just it's just like a very bizarre scene and I, like I said I think that's what I'm trying to say before is that like I think the approach it makes sense like I think if they could blend those two elements together if they could get a performance from our lead actor that felt more organic and realized uh, in a you know authentic way and if we could get the material to really have that complexity and nuance that, that felt 
stronger for the characterizations. I think this would have been a really sensational musical film, but I just feel like that all these concurrent things don't uh, complement each other, and it becomes ultimately a bit of a, a mess. But not like like a disaster. I think in some ways people are making it out to be. I just I think it's for the most part kind of a tedious film. But yeah, I think discussing sad. all the things that don't work are kind of fascinating. Right. Yeah. Like you can find so many things about it to criticize. And it's weird because it's not the sum of all of those criticisms, at least for me. Like I th- like one of the big things is that I think that the romance between Evan Hansen and Caitlin Devere's character. No, like it, I don't buy it at all. Like, yeah, that was no chemistry whatsoever. Like yeah. why would it just doesn't like just one second. She can't stand him. One second. The script says that she likes him and like, none of it works. Like in their relationship, all of that, take it out of the movie, please. Right. Well, I mean, that's like where the age stuff is as most egregious because like, I mean, they are, I believe, like only three years apart. I think he was 27. They might be four years. I think she was like 23 when she filmed this and um, he was 27. So it's not like they're like terribly far away in age. I mean, it's like a bit of a gap. They're they're four years apart. Yeah. She's like 24. But. Yeah, it just made me wonder, like, do people do screen tests anymore? Like, is that a thing that still happens? Because, like, if you watch this, like, instantly you're just like, no, why is this older guy leering on this younger woman? It just, it reads horribly on well, screen. Well, it's not even that. Yeah. It's just, it's not even the acting of it. It's For me, it's the writing. It's just sort of like, what series of events really brings her to look at this guy in a romantic way? Because, like, all of the scenes leading up to this are so awkward. They're so antagonistic. There's, like, she's grieving. Like, what in the world is attracting her to him? Especially when it comes to the point where, like, everything he knows about her is through her brother? Like, I don't know. It's just gross. Like, I don't know. None of that stuff. Like, if I had to pick anything about this movie to take out and I couldn't pick anything else, it's that stuff. Like, Mm -hmm. it's just, it it was gross. Like, every time they were interacting, I was like, please stop. Like, it it doesn't work. Like, this movie would have worked much better if it had been a platonic friendship. He obviously wants more than that, but he's reveling in having this close connection that is growing. Maybe it could be romantic eventually but like it gets stopped it gets stopped short instead they go full-on like oh they're dating and everything and it's like uh, it's so unbelievable i think that he almost has more chemistry with amanda lestenberg but not by much so yeah it it doesn't work for me at all yeah i would agree yeah and i i don't know i I think with the music and everything yeah that stuff didn't bother me as, as much as it seemed to have bothered you i just think man this movie like we already mentioned that it's too long mm-hmm. and not, and I was, I was hanging by a thread with this movie. I was just like, movie, you have enough going on that I'm not going to hate you, that I'm not going to just sort of like declare from the heavens, the end of your existence by my sword. And then it does the unthinkable. It does something that is so lazy. That is just so like, oh my word, is it 10 years ago again? It does the viral subplot. Something goes viral. Are you kidding me? How many times do we have to go through this, Hollywood? You don't understand virality. You don't understand what makes things go viral. I can tell you what's not going to go viral. This dumb kid's speech. Are you joking? Like, you won't believe what happened next is literally in this movie. And people are trying to be like, this is an Oscar contender. I reject it completely. Like when they, when this thing goes viral and there's even a montage 
an unforgivable montage where Evan Hansen is like, it's got a million views, two million views. No, it doesn't. It has 10 or 15 maybe. And that's like the parents of like the people involved watching this. It turns into a whole thing. The Connor project. Like at that point in the movie, I was just like, go away, stop, like end now. Like, I don't know if the whole virality thing happens in the actual like stage play. It does. But it's, it's so lame. Like it's just, it's too lame to even contemplate for me. Uh, I believe the viral or whatever I was trying to say, the, the viral, um, yeah, yeah, aspect. Viagra. Sure. Uh, the, <laughs> which is, I guess, what Evan Hansen needs if he's whatever, like 45 years old or whatever. Uh, but yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I believe because I, from what I've read or what I've seen, like the stage production is very, like, kind of stripped down, but like there are like screens in the background and you like, kind of like, see the Twitter posts and all this stuff flying whenever like the, the crux of the story kind of comes into play and it adds, I guess, the, this, the, um, internalization of evan hansen like the like overwhelming sensation of just like getting all this attention and feeling kind of like the center of the universe and all that stuff which i think maybe it just i don't know maybe it just really works well on stage i don't know i haven't seen the stage production i don't know how to compare it to that but um yeah in film it just kind of reads as it's kind of hacky and and uh we've been there done that with this sort of thing yeah it's this weird like wish fulfillment of i don't know this like we control the internet. The internet is predictable. And it, yeah, I, I love it when films do the opposite where like something happens and they say it's gone viral and it's like, it has a thousand views. Yeah. That's when I, that's when my ears perk up. I was like, Oh, here's a writer who knows what's up. Right. <laughs> like, that to me is the best. But yeah, whenever like that's something I loved about eighth grade. It's just that, like, she never goes viral. Yeah. Like a lesser screenwriter would have been like, Oh, but then she's going to have a video that has like a million views. And mm-hmm. then we get to do this whole other thing. But then, you should see Bo Burnham being like, no, 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 no. Right. You don't understand what we're trying to do here. Yeah. Uh, yes, that's Dear Evan Hansen. I have nothing else to say about this movie. It sucks. Don't watch it. But, you know, it, if you do watch it, like, I don't think you're going to don't expect like the biggest disaster of your life or anything. It's just bad. Like, why would you give it the time of day? Yeah. Um. So I'm kind of familiar with the um, uh, Rotten Tomatoes versus audience score. I know there's a big. Uh, the only reason is because like I keep coming up, like people would bring it up um at the theater like patrons would come in and be like oh it has like whatever like a 32 percent on rotten tomatoes but it has like a 84 percent on the audience side of it i don't know if that's the exact numbers but um i know it was like so for listeners who don't know we play a little game every week these yeah. days where will ashen gets to guess what the score is and it's 33 percent okay. now um so uh, but the audience score, what, what did you think it was? I heard it was pretty high. Like it was, it was like, I heard it was like in the eighties or something like that. Maybe I just missed, maybe, I mean, I don't know. They, I didn't look for it myself, but I heard it was like in the, the higher end of things. Go ahead. Give your guess. What's your guess? Uh, let's say 85%. 90. 90%. Okay. 90% audience score out of, oh, and it has over 500 verified ratings. So it's yeah. not an anomaly. So, and I mean, I was to do. Yeah, I mean, I will say, like, at least for the small handful of people that came to um, our theater reopening and that I saw coming in and out of the film and talked about with, people are responding to it. At least the people came out to see it this weekend. So, I don't know. What are they I, saying? What's the cinema score at the Pittsburgh theater where you work uh, at? I don't want to dox it. A lot, of, people to know it. a lot of people came out crying. A lot of people were like, oh, this is, you know, a touching oh, film. And they, they, I mean, they were moved by it, like, you know. 
it's hard to uh, argue if someone's crying. I mean, unless they were like Is laughing. It the cast? Like, did you just see Ben Platt himself coming out? Like, I don't know. I mean, it's a very. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing, right? Is that Stephen Chomsky? I I think he made a very earnest film. Like, I I think the Platts might have been more cynical in what they were trying to do with this. I don't think he was. I mean, I don't want to believe that he had cynical intentions with the film. I think everything he has done before this suggests that I think he had his heart in the right place. I think he wanted to tell a very nuanced character driven film about an isolated high schooler who is uh, in this predicament and he kind of gets in over his head. But um, yeah, I think like we said, it it makes sense on paper why this could have worked or why Universal thought they had a slam dunk. And I I think the execution just betrayed them and pretty much every step leading up to its release. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I wasn't really fond of the music, as we mentioned. It, it sounded very much, and I don't mean this as a slight uh, so much, but it will be perceived as one. It felt kind of like Christian rock to me throughout the whole film. And it had like this kind of bland, inspirational feel to it that. That's kind of funny. Yeah. I like I, that. But it just sounded, I just, like I said, I just think the execution of this is wrong. Like, I think the intent or like how they were focusing on the film in terms of like making it more intimate and uh, character focused makes sense, but. It either needs to be sincere, but way more complicated about the characters, or it needs to be like this, but darkly amusing, like acknowledging that the characters are assholes and just playing that up to the to the night. But if they did that, they would have just remade World's Greatest Dad. So I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. So we already said 33% on Ron Tomatoes. That's out of 173 critics. And then 90% audience score, really, really high. What do you think the cinema score is, though? What do you think the people in Vegas gave this one when all was said and done? Um, I'm going to go... I, I, it might be A, but I don't, I don't know. I'm going to say B+. Plus. A-. minus. You should have split the difference. Yeah. <laughs> A- minus for this movie. That's pretty funny. But hey, yeah, I think I think you're, you're spot on in that estimation. Yeah, I think this is one of those movies people are going to watch and they're going to be like, oh yeah, that was kind of nice. You know, they're going to have a reaction to it, but it's not going to... I don't think this movie's going to last a test of time. I don't think it's actually going to impact people in any meaningful way. I mean, some people for sure, but not in a way that I think is going to be like long lasting. Yeah. You know, if that makes any sense. So, well, I, I do think the people that showed up for opening weekend were fans of the musical. They have uh preexisting history with the yeah, material. So maybe they're looking at it with rose colored glasses and they're seeing the musical and they're just like, it's just like the, the thing, but on the screen. But, um, that yeah. is one thing. Yeah. I mean, if there were people who are fans of the musical who watched it and liked it too, Hey, that is a plus for this movie sure. that, that they, it, you know, for better or worse, they stuck close to what ostensibly worked in the first place. Yeah. Even though for a lot of other people, <laughs> it probably won't. Was the, um, for us. was the one song in the musical, the like, kind of like more upbeat, darkly comedic one that felt like something to be way more specific. Um, the one, the email one. Yes. Was, yes. That was probably my favorite. Sincerely me. I guess. I don't know. That, that's like the only one that felt inspired compared to yeah. the other ones. That was a good time. That was a good time. That was kind of like, I was going, oh, I'm into this. That's just, the one where, yeah. you know, Colton Ryan actually gets to do something. I guess, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like, he's, I think, only a year younger than um, than Ben Platt. But he he feels like a way more believable high schooler. Uh, and I feel like if he I think he you're was, right. Yeah, he's in his mid-20s. But yeah, it's yeah. like... He looks, that's the thing. They didn't put tons of makeup right. on him. They didn't do a tons of, they didn't do a ton of things to try to make him look younger. Exactly. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. I, that's, at least it yeah. seems that way. That's why I felt at least. So, yeah. All right. Well, that's Dear Evan Hansen. We didn't like it. Will and I are not about this movie. We're saying Dear Evan Hansen, 
Sincerely, not us. Return the sender. John Will. Return to sender. Thank you. Um, it's out now in theaters. It's, as we mentioned before, too long, two and a half hours or whatever it is. Two hours and 18 minutes, if I'm recalling. Mm. Way too long. Way too long. But you can watch it right now in theaters if you are so inclined. And that's all we have for you this week. Next week, we're talking about Venom, Let There Be Carnage. It's probably going to be our big review. We're also going to talk about The Many Saints of Newark, yeah. the prequel to The Sopranos, which Will has been preparing for by watching Tropical. all the Sopranos for the first time. I haven't seen any of it. We're going to have a, an interesting cast on that one. We might also talk about The Addams Family too, which I'm supposed to see today. We're also hoping to cover The Guilty, the new Jake Gyllenhaal movie, and Titan, or Titani, or however you pronounce it. The follow-up Titan, film from the director of Raw, which was one of Will's favorite films from yes. a few years ago. Love that movie. Yeah. Yeah, that's the newest one from... I, I don't know how to pronounce her name. I'm not familiar with that but Julia, Julia Dirk. Now, yeah. I, I think she's French. Yeah, so she's definitely so, French. I just I didn't want to disrespect her by mispronouncing. I don't her. either. Yeah. Yes, she is the wonderful Julia D. Initial. She's great. Yes. Uh, so yeah. But until then, that's it for us for, from this week. Don't forget to check out any Ogre till it's ogre. Yeah. For Will Ashton. Thank you. For me, I got nothing going on. Mm. Follow me on Twitter, I guess. I got reviews coming out this week for Venom and all that stuff. So you'll you'll find me there. Um, but yeah. From the Internet California, I'm John Agroni. And from the Internet Pennsylvania, I'm Lash. See you next time. <laughs>